Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm joined this week again with Dr. Smith to discuss Christian apologetics. We don't need to provide much evidence to our audience for the continued need for apologetics, but suffice it to say that the intellectual assent and the reasonableness of our Catholic faith is something that is, is in some kind of peril. It is not It is not a new problem uh, in the history of the church, but for us in our current cultural context, it is a problem. And so today we want to discuss particularly defending the faith when it comes to nons. Hmm. Um, so Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started? How, how can we maybe look at the audience we're trying to reach, particularly uh, who is the non? Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm sure uh, most people have probably heard of the... Uh, phenomenon of nons. Uh, nons are those who are not affiliated or unaffiliated with any religious tradition. Uh, this is a growing phenomenon, especially in um, you know societies of advanced modernity in the West, uh, Europe, United States of America, Great Britain, uh, those sorts of places. And uh, it's a it's a challenge. And I think that uh, you know the nons, the the growth of nons is in some ways an effect of or uh, at least closely associated with the growth of a, a really sort of uh, anti-Christian, anti-religious uh, ethos uh, and intellectual culture that has developed um, really, you know, for the last century or so. Um, but it's really become very popular and potent and forceful, especially in, the, in America in maybe the last several decades. Um, so it's, you know, as you said, it's, uh, apologetics is always important. It's always part of the... Um, the Christian mission, the Christian apostolate. Um, but it's a particularly important in our own time, which is so hostile, uh, not only to Catholicism, but just to Christianity uh, in general. So one of the things uh, that I think it's important for us to recover is a good sense of Christian apologetics. Um, in our older manuals, uh, you'll find this uh, sometimes called philosophical apologetics. So this is a distinct uh, sort of activity or discipline or pursuit from what we often call apologetics in Catholic circles, which has to do with um, dialogue and debates with uh, uh, Protestants, right? Um, this is more oriented towards um, defending just Christian faith in general. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, when, you, when we talk about the nons, I think two growing populations within this one category, there's, there's those that are being raised uh, from from their childhood with absolutely no faith background. Mm -hmm. So the unchurched. Yeah, the unchurched. Uh, and then there's those uh, that are fallen away Catholics or mm -hmm. just fallen away Protestants or fallen mm -hmm. away Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's these, there's these two and fairly, you know, and for the most part, you know, both of them can either have this either indifferent attitude right, right. Uh, uh, to Christianity or to religion in general. Mm -hmm. and, there, and then there's those that have that kind of animosity towards uh, religion uh, and particularly uh, Catholicism sure. and Christianity. Right, right. So I think, you know, when it comes to approaching those two, you know, maybe a, a first principle of the, uh, the apologist is to kind of gauge where the other person is coming from. Sure. Uh, I think that's got to mm -hmm. be the first step uh, mm -hmm. to to establish uh, uh, the audience mm -hmm. and then to establish maybe a, a first starting point to begin the conversation. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. but with 
with regard to, to just kind of Christian apologetics in, in general, what mm-hmm. do you see as kind of the goal? What are yeah. we trying to do? Well, I think that uh, it's important to, to start with the goal, have a clear mind of the goal and the objective, uh, because once we understand the end, right, then mm-hmm. we can understand the activity uh, better, right, and understand the nature of what we're trying to do. So in a sense, Christian apologetics is a, a sub-discipline. It could fall under um, Christian philosophy, fall under theology. It employs primarily, but not exclusively, the tools and ideas of philosophy for the sake of showing the credibility of Christian faith. Um, and so one of the things you need to think about is, okay, well, what do we mean by credibility? And why do we want to, to, to emphasize credibility? There's a couple of things we need to, to recognize there. Uh, when we're talking about credibility, right, uh, the word credibility is um, uh, tr- can be traced back to its Latin roots in the word credere, uh, which, of course, uh, f- you know, forms the, the basis of our word, the creed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, credere means to believe, right? Uh, credo means I believe. Um, so when we're talking about credibility, we're talking about the believability of something. And this is something actually that in, is a general notion that is at work in our lives, even if we don't sort of explicitly uh, recognize it. And that is, there's a lot of things that we just have to take on faith uh, in, in a general sense, right? Um, from other people, other sources, you know, um, you know, my students uh, believe that I am who I say I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> they believe that I am indeed Dr. Smith and that I did indeed earn a PhD in philosophy. Um, and hopefully I come across as credible, right, uh, in that way. Uh, similarly, um, you know, w- we invest various authorities in our lives, whether mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, you know, police officers, law enforcement, or uh, medical professionals with a great deal of credibility, right, because of their credentialing, because of the field they operate in, so that we think that they're believable. I don't have to, when I see my doctor, my doctor tells me what I need to, to address a particular medical situation, I don't usually say to him, prove it. (laughs) Usually uh, I I take his word for it. I might ask some follow-up questions, but in general, I I take him to be credible. That is believable, right? And so, uh, and and it's reasonable, right, for me to to believe what he has to say about it because of his expertise, because of my experience with him. That's a very important aspect of being reasonable and of operating in an efficient way in in any really sort of environment. Yeah. And I think, you know, in my own experience with, uh, uh, particularly when I was a, a DRE and, and I helped out with, you know, uh, confirmation and things, mm-hmm. there was always this, you know, pushback uh, mm-hmm. from some of the students, you know. Right. Uh, one in particular was uh, a, a child who said, uh, I'm a man of science, was an eighth grader. Okay. He said, I'm a man of science. Right. First off, you know, you're not a man to begin with. So his approach was, I'm a man of science sure. and uh, uh, I don't really need religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he went on to explain, you know, some scientific positions. And so the my first starting point with him was talking about, well, how do you know what they are telling you is true? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, well, again, he, he established their credibility. He mm-hmm, said, well, this mm-hmm. person is a PhD. Mm-hmm. They got their PhD from this place, from that place. And so he established their credibility. Mm-hmm. So that he could have this kind of, and, and I explained this to him very carefully, was that he had this natural faith sure. in what they said based on who they were and mm-hmm. their credibility. Right, right. And so I think, you know, sometimes a first step to showing the reasonableness mm-hmm. of the Christian faith is to establish 
that it is reasonable to have faith in anything. In anything, in anything right, you know? yeah, right, right, uh, right. Which is sometimes, you know, the, 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 the stigma that faith gets is that mm-hmm. it's it's unreasonable, mm-hmm. it's blind, yeah, it's sure. illogical. Right. I think what you want to show it, it, to some degree in that is that uh, it's impossible to live a human life without faith. Right. That, in fact, we all are engaged in faith. We use various criteria by which to establish the credibility of the person we're going to believe. And if that's the case in general, then it shouldn't be the case that we say, oh, but about religion, faith is irrational, right? If it's reasonable, um, if there are reasonable grounds for acting on faith in other areas, then those same criteria should be applicable to uh, Christian faith, right? Um, And so if it's uh, into Christian revelation, so it's really unreasonable, right, to say, well, we can have faith over here, but not in matters of religion, right? So it's inconsistent. Right, or to say, in order for me to believe something, I need to have direct knowledge of Mm -hmm. the thing. Well, if that was the case, then there would be a lot of things that you wouldn't be able to do. And even Cardinal Ratzinger points this out, I forget Mm -hmm. where, but he says, you know, if we were to have direct knowledge of everything in order to act, our life would be impossible. <laughs> right. I mean, think, think about driving a car. Do you sure. know exactly how your brake pedal works? Probably not. Yeah, probably. You do, but I don't. I do. I'm a mechanic, right? uh, uh, but that, but but my direct knowledge of it does not, you know, uh, restrict me from, or mm-hmm. does it permit me to have even more faith? Sure. Uh, in my brake pedal than somebody who doesn't have direct knowledge of it. Right. So there's our, our life would be impossible if we had if we began with that principle of mm-hmm. in order for me to act, I need direct knowledge of this thing and how it right. works and everything about it before I'll actually believe it. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we, we act on faith in a lot of things. That's right. So that's that, right. you know, so that first, you know, thing is to establish that credibility. And I think it's not just of the the reasonableness of faith, but also uh, the reasonableness and the credibility of the person you're speaking to, which is sure. you, you right. know, or me, or mm-hmm. any of that, that we have to have that particular credibility uh, to the person we're speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, now, what about the 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 opposite? So not mm-hmm. only are we showing the credibility and mm-hmm. the reasonableness of belief, right? Uh, but what about the the the, the converse? What yeah. about- so I think it's important to, to to recognize that if you can demonstrate the credibility, right, of Christian revelation, of Christian religion. Um, then showing that it's credible means that it's reasonable to believe it, and very importantly, unreasonable not to believe it. Yeah, that's a big step. Uh, it is a big Sounds step. judgmental. It, it does, it does. But uh, again, you could take a parallel case. Imagine a, a witness uh, in a trial. Uh, once the credibility of that witness has been established, it's incumbent upon the jurors um, to uh, to believe that witness, right? Uh, what they're reporting, uh, if they are indeed a credible witness, and at some point it would be unreasonable, right? Now obdurant uh, to insist on being skeptical about the words of that uh, witness. Again, once you've established the credibility, so if you can establish the credibility of Christian religion, then it shows that it's unreasonable, right, to uh, not believe uh, in Christian revelation, uh, and that's very important because it means that agnosticism. Uh, a suspended uh, sort of position towards uh, Christianity um, would not be, in fact, um, a reasonable position to hold. Um, so that's important. Another a similar kind of area, a similar kind of operation that's involved in Christian apologetics is not only demonstrating the credibility of Christian faith, but showing the irrationality, uh, the error of opposed uh, perspectives, opposed worldviews. Uh, and that's an important uh, task, as, as you said, that might sound sort of judgmental. But one of the things that you have to, a Christian should re- remember is that, you know, we're operating in a way out of love, right, mm-hmm. for our neighbor, uh, 
to save him from error, to save him from a misguided life. Uh, not because we are individually or personally so great, but because we believe that Christian revelation is so great, uh, because we believe this is the truth and that nothing less than the salvation of souls is at stake. Yeah, and and we begin also, like you said, with that with that understanding of the human person that we come from God and we're ordered back to God, mm-hmm. and it is, and this is kind of sometimes a hard position for I think even Catholics sometimes mm-hmm. to 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 internalize uh, uh, but also to express to the ones that we do love is that the human person will be ultimately unfulfilled without right. God right right uh, uh, and so I, I think that's kind of a, a first kind of you know kind of pedagogical principle you have to have in the back of your sure. mind yeah. when approaching this subject is that the the, the person will ultimately be happier will right. ultimately be fulfilled mm-hmm. uh, with God and in their belief in God, uh, right. They can move towards uh, um, from which they came, mm-hmm. and so now, now, real quick though, let's talk about maybe the limitations uh, sure. of of uh, apologetics. So uh, you know, it's important, especially I think in our own time, which tends to be even Christians tend to be sort of agnostic, or at least think that it's um, that faith is just a sort of a blind leap, right, or a, subje- a purely subjective stance. It is important to recognize that the Catholic Church has said on multiple occasions. That not just theism, but Christianity, Christian revelation, mm-hmm. is reasonable to believe. And that it has objective evidences that pour, point towards its truth that are evident to the mind. And so that um, not accepting Christian revelation is, in fact, unreasonable and that we're culpable for it. Um, so that's an important point. That's a mm-hmm. strong point on the side of we can demonstrate the credibility of Christian revelation. Uh, but we also need to recognize the, the limits of what we can do in Christian apologetics. Um, you know, demonstrating the credibility is important because we cannot, in fact, demonstrate um, with scientific certainty, uh, with rational or logical certainty, the truths, uh, all the truths of revelation. Right. right. So there are those things that are distinguished as mysteries, the, the mysteries of the faith. And to be blunt, of course, those are the most core distinguishing elements of Christian revelation. So things like um, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the incarnation, uh, the redemption, all those sorts of things, right? Uh, those are things that cannot be demonstrated with certainty uh, using uh, philosophical methods. We can do- demonstrate the believability of such things, right. right? And we'll talk some about how we go about doing that. But um, we can't demonstrate with reason alone uh, those sort of core ideas of um of a christian worldview yeah and i think it's also important to to remember that as an apologist you are not the you are not going to be the final or even efficient cause of mm-hmm. somebody's faith That's you know right. we talk about right. sharing the faith handing on the faith but we're not the, the 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 final or the efficient cause of somebody else having faith sure we we will be we do act in an instrumental way mm-hmm. uh in bringing about that but ultimately it is the it is the holy spirit that sure. conversion of heart uh to make to make that step and to make that intellectual ascent of faith sure that it is the work of the holy spirit Absolutely. which which yeah. stands outside of us um but at the same time uh god has given us a participation in his work yeah um, that's right that's right and it's true of any sort of apostolate or evangelical uh, endeavor, um, uh, or even sort of the preaching of the word, probably the preaching of the word is, is closer, yeah. right. Uh, to conversion than apologetics, but, uh, even the preaching of the word, I think the, the finest preacher will tell you, uh, well, you know, I give these words, but these words, they're occasions, right. Sure. 
uh, for the ascent of faith, but ultimately it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings that about. Um, nevertheless, with that said, recognizing those limitations, and they are very important, we can still recognize, I think, that there is some real utility in um, uh, and usefulness and benefit to practicing apologetics. Now, not every Christian is going to do this in the same way, right, to the same degree. Right, right. Uh, we don't all have to be professional apologists. <laughs> uh, but we should, you know, uh, if we if we recall that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, um, that is a, a spiritual warfare uh, against the devil mm-hmm. um, and in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, uh, that this is a serious matter and we should arm ourselves uh, as well as we can. And apologetics is one of our weapons uh, or one of our instruments uh, in that kind of warfare. Um, so what are some of the benefits we can get from this, um, despite its limitations? One, and I think this is something that's, that sometimes, uh, is, uh, neglected, but I would say that there's an important doxological element, uh, to, <laughs> to apologetics. So doxology has to do with, uh, the worship of God showing forth the glory, the goodness and the greatness of God, his majesty, uh, his sovereignty. Uh, and I think that that's an important role, both of actually of preaching as well as apologetics. One of the first things we want to do is act uh, on behalf of the honor of God. You know, we want to defend not that he, God needs us, but as as his uh, as his children, as his warriors, we want to defend his honor. Right? We want to say what God has revealed is worthy of our belief. Uh, what God has revealed is in fact wise and reasonable and should be believed. And we hear people besmirching, you know, the honor of God's revelation. We should, you know, not become angry or, or hostile, but we should uh, sort of, um, you know, be steadfast in opposing those things that uh, besmirch uh, the honor and the majesty of God. Right? We need to say, like, what God has revealed is awesome. It shows uh us the real meaning of life. It shows his goodness, his greatness, his majesty. And and apologetics is part of that uh, work, I think. Yeah. Uh, and not to, not to get too off topic, this might be another mm-hmm. whole other subject for another podcast, but I think it's an interesting uh, uh, point to make with, with this idea of defending, you know, God's majesty and sovereignty is I think a particular challenge in our, in our world today uh, is that of humor and comedy uh-huh. okay. where, where not, sure. nothing is off limits, right, right, right. you know? So, so, I mean, I, you know, I've known, you know, good faithful Catholics, but when it comes to humor and some mm-hmm. of the, mm-hmm. the, the comedians they listen to and stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're, they're, I mean, just absolutely, you know, just abominable. Right, like they're sure. just, I mean, just nothing is off limits. Right. Even uh, sacred things. Yeah. Right, even right. sacred things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we talk about just not, uh, not just kind of, evangelizing people but evangelizing mm. a culture is to sure. say no some yeah. things are sacred and just simply need to be left alone that's right unless yeah we are going to speak of them in a reverent sure. uh, manner and i think that's you know one of the first things that needs to happen culturally right. yeah is to, to have sure. that recognition yeah there. this that, that is an important uh, i think topic uh, jason for a future podcast actually because yeah just talking about piety and sacrilege right as uh two things that really need to we need to sort of recover the value of, yeah. um, not only in, in, in sort of liturgical matters, but in sort of the broader sort of, um, in sacramentals and the way we talk about God and the way we talk about holy things. Yeah. And it all falls under the virtue of modesty. That is, sure. you know, when we speak of modesty, a lot of times we think of dress, but mm-hmm. speech also is so, yeah, huge. Speech, yeah. Speech is a big huge. part of it. All another, right. another, I just yeah. another aspect, uh, another benefit as uh, two are two more I want to talk about uh, quickly, but another aspect, uh, or benefit of apologetics, Christian apologetics is uh, the edification of the brethren. 
uh, and the edification of ourselves, right? That is the building up. Mm-hmm. So apologetics, you know, our faith will never rest on our best arguments. Right. God willing, right? <laughs> they, 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 our faith rests on the grace of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, the uh, our arguments, philosophical arguments, can help support that faith. They can give us things to fall back on um, in difficult times. I know certainly for myself, um, you know, the, the arguments that St. Thomas develops about providence, uh, you know, they sort of build up my, um, they reinforce is a good way of putting it. I guess. Yeah. They reinforce my theological commitment, my commitment in faith towards trusting in God's providence, right? Um, so that apologetics helps, uh, it reinforces our faith, right? The faith of people who already believe. And then third, and, and maybe the more obvious thing, is, uh, benefit is it does help in evangelization, right? It does help us to show the credibility of faith, show the credibility of, of, of revelation and show, um, and, and to really eliminate and knock down many of those intellectual obstacles that stand in the way of faith. And very often that's the, the role of the Christian apologist, just to show that these intellectual obstacles that seem to stand in the way of faith are in fact not, uh, powerful. They're not persuasive and they're not rational. Yeah. And, and the, the, the modern person, they, they do not react very well from arguments from authority. Sure. Uh, uh, especially, you know, and that's one of the, the, the huge effects of, you know, the, the sex abuse scandal with priests. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that is that we lost a lot of that credibility in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they turn to more of the intellectual arguments and things. And so I think that's where the apologetics has a real uh, importance today is because we do not have the credibility of witness, mm-hmm. you know, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Personally, you know, that's for your friends to judge, I guess. But, um, but you know, kind of for, uh, from an institutional standpoint, we've lost a lot of that credibility. Sure. And when you look at any Pew study, mm-hmm. the big reason why a lot of people leave the church or step away from it, uh, it has to do with what she teaches. They mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. intellectual problems right. uh, of what she teaches. They don't mm-hmm. see the reasonability of it or they right. don't see... Uh, the truth in it. And uh, and some of that is, you know, some of the blame can be placed on us. Some of the blame, you know, can honestly be placed on them as well. Right. Um, um, and so I think it's important uh, to recognize that, especially when it comes to evangelization. Sure. Now, when we talk about uh, kind of the, the, the philosophical apologetics, mm-hmm. uh, we can also talk about these as the, the, the preambles of faith. Sure. Uh, what right. what right. comes before that act of faith or what mm-hmm. comes before you know, maybe even, you know, diving into divine revelation. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. So the preambles of faith, uh, are a very important element of, um, sort of classical Christian apologetics. Um, I, I would actually say that there's kind of three large areas. We're going to focus probably on the preambles of faith, but, um, one of the things that we can see is, uh, about a Christian worldview, uh, is, um, that it is in fact, uh, reasonable. That is, it's, supported by strong uh, arguments mm-hmm. and the contrary uh, can be defeated by argument. Uh, the second area of Christian apologetics is about the usefulness of a Christian uh, of Christian belief. And then the third area uh, has to do with how uh, Christian faith can be verified in our own experience. Mm-hmm. But looking at that first section first, um, the about the preambles of faith, um, one of the ways I like to approach this is just talk about a Christian worldview and whether or not that is uh, credible or not. Um, in, in doing this, this allows you to say, okay, well, I'm drawing the Christian worldview 
from um, scripture and sacred tradition, but I don't have to necessarily get bogged down in the kinds of arguments that sometimes people bring up about, you know, whether or not the manuscripts of the Bible are reliable or not, those sorts of things. Those are important topics for sure. Sure. Um, But I don't want to sort of get bogged down in those. I want to talk about a Christian worldview in general. And so, you know, basically what's summarized in the creed uh, and uh, what gives us a a view of the Christian view, given Christian revelation, what is it we believe about reality and about man? Mm -hmm. That's the essence of the um, Christian worldview. And, And the preambles of faith play an important role here. So the preambles of faith are those elements of Christian revelation, those elements of the Christian worldview that may be demonstrated by philosophical reasoning. Now, this um, this is important uh, in several ways. Uh, first, uh, in a general way, what you're doing here is you're showing that the Christian worldview is credible. So again, just think about, say, whether or not you're going to believe a friend about something or a witness in a trial. If, if Jason, you have regularly and consistently been honest with me, and let's say maybe you're my mechanic, right? So, so uh, in addition to being a friend, you've given me good advice about my car. You've regularly, consistently fixed my car well in the way that you said, and things went the way that you said they'd go. It becomes reasonable for me to believe you, to have a position of default belief towards you, because on so many occasions you have been shown to be truthful mm-hmm. and accurate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? And it, at some point, if I came to you after you were my mechanic for three or four years, and I came to you and you, and you said, oh, well, this is what I think is wrong with your car. I was like, Jason, you're wrong. <laughs> you're like, well, what do you mean? Like, why are you saying that? Yeah. Fix it yourself. Right? That's right. But the, uh, um, it would be unreasonable for me to doubt you given all of the elements, um, all of the times that you were proven to be accurate and truthful, mm-hmm. right? So what we want to show with the preambles of faith is that there are many essential elements of a Christian worldview that in fact can be demonstrated as accurate and true. So that once you have demonstrated these uh, many elements, these important elements as accurate and true and their opposites as irrational, then really you're in a position of saying, well, really it's reasonable to believe the Christian worldview in general, right? right. Now, reasonable to believe, you can't make a, uh, this is a technical point. You can't make a deductive move right there where you say, well, with certainty, I can know that the Christian worldview is true, right? right. But you can just show that it's reasonable to believe it, mm-hmm. right? Because of all of those um, examples where it's been shown to be accurate. And those those examples are not trivial, right? These aren't uh, trivial matters. So in, in terms of philosophical reason, Philosophical reason can demonstrate the existence of God. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if there's no God, the Christian worldview is false, right? Okay, <laughs> right, right. So we can demonstrate the existence of God, many of his attributes that are reported in the Bible and sacred tradition. In addition to that, we can demonstrate the providence of God. That is that God is not some distant watchmaker, but that God is intimately involved in uh, the developments uh, of the world, uh, developments in history. We can also uh, demonstrate... Um, the divine justice, right? This is a very important point often left out. That is, we can show that God is not only uh, not only the first cause of the world, not only is he provident, but he's also uh, the authority over the world, mm-hmm. right? He's the, the supreme governor. And as such, um, exercises authority over the world. And, and this is really interesting. Um, the church talks about this as sort of like baseline theism, that, that, that God operates as a judge, right? That is, yeah. that God stands over the world 
uh, as a moral judge. Now, people don't like that language anymore, but it's all through the Bible. It's all through sacred tradition. It's really unavoidable. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, actually. Like, judges are good people, right? Yeah. Actually, right? We need judges. Ju- uh, a judge is an important office. Uh, and God judges. God judges those uh, who act. Uh, uh, um, he, he judges everyone right? yeah. and determines, you know, oh, this person has acted well. This act- person has acted poorly. Um, so we can demonstrate that as part of just something that is known to reason. Yeah. Right? And I think I think even from kind of maybe a, a, a funny point, maybe, is that, you know, when when you hear that, oh, it's so judgmental, you know, mm. we don't like to be judgmental, but but at the same time, look at how obsessed we are with judges, say, in our popular culture. Sure, right. I mean, look, mm. look at half of the TV shows that are on <laughs> right. TV uh, yeah. have a judge. And here's the thing, is <laughs> if, if you've ever been a victim of a crime, you are actually quite interested in the fact that there are judges, right? <laughs> right? right? This is a very important to you, right? That you that you be brought justice by that judge, right? right? So um, we, it's an important thing. Uh, as you point out, we actually do want uh, um, justice in a sense. Yeah, we also no. want more than justice, to be sure. Right, but, but if you're but, on yeah. American Idol and you're sure. a really good singer <laughs> right. and you're standing next to a really crappy singer, right, right. you want the judge. That's right. You want the judge <laughs> to deliver an accurate... Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we can demonstrate that, that God exists, that he is provident, that he is just, that he is a just judge. In addition to that, we can demonstrate the existence of a moral law, the natural law, mm-hmm. and we can demonstrate the immortality of the souls. So when you really think about it, it's a, that's a lot Yeah. Right. Uh, of the Christian worldview. Uh, that can be uh, demonstrated as um, as accurate. Now, I think I think one of the hardest things, maybe for for kind of the modern person, they, they they might be able to say, okay, well, maybe I can see the reasonableness of the existence of God. Mm-hmm. You know, they understand uh, order; that order has to come from something mm-hmm. uh, greater than it has to establish that order. Mm-hmm. But how do you how do you maybe take somebody from that point of uh, the existence of God? And a moral law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would you maybe maybe take them th- through that logical process? Sure. I think there's a couple of approaches that can be taken. Um, I think a very good, you know, sort of place if you've never read it or, or worked through it. I think uh, at a very so at a popular level, a general audience level, the work of C.S. Lewis is helpful yeah. in this area. Um, he does a good job, I think, of laying out sort of basic facts that we uh, we are moral creatures. Um, that morality is a fact of human existence. That is, there are more there there are moral codes. We have moral feelings. We have thoughts about morality. Morality is, in a sense, almost inescapable. Even if you don't like the word morality, you make judgments. Everyone makes judgments about what good, what is evil, what should be done, what should not be done. Right. right? So there's a moral fact. There's a facticity to uh, morality. Right. It's there. And then you can start to ask, well, okay. So given that there is uh, that morality is part of reality. Um, what could be its origin, right? Mm-hmm. Would it arise simply from um, as a necessary outcome of the random interaction of purposes, forces? And the answer is no, right? <laughs> uh, uh, it would not arise from that basis. Um, uh, and, and you know, he goes through a series of arguments. We don't have to hash them all out here, but that they could only arise from uh, a supreme moral being, a yeah. uh, supreme moral being that has some claim of authority over us. Uh, and that has um, some strong uh, sort of control of the world and authority over the world, and that that makes sense. Um, uh, that that would that 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 makes sense both of uh, that there is morality and that morality is closely related to the existence of God. Right. Uh, a more technical approach would be to say, well, look, once we have the idea that God exists, that God is the first cause, and that He is provident. 
um, then nature takes on a different view. Uh, our view of nature becomes uh, kind of uh, deepened and um, uh, sort of translated into a more obviously moral uh, kind of character once we uh, ex accept that God is in charge of nature. Um, and, and so how does that work? Well, nature, if God is the first cause, right, mm -hmm. then, then nature is not, this is what I just said again ago, uh, a few minutes ago about this purposeless forces and randomness. Rather, nature is designed, and it's designed for purposes, and those purposes are uh, not just uh, given, but decreed by mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. right? So that God, as the first cause, is the authority and sovereign over the world. Um, he has not just appointed uh, that there be sort of random forces or purposeless forces that, that bring things about. Rather, uh, he has created this natural order, maybe through a variety of means. We don't have to get into the details of that, but right. he's created this order for purposes. So, for example, uh, this might sound like a sort of strange example, but why is, um, is self-mutilation bad? Right. Well, there's some obvious, should be some obvious yeah. reasons, right? It hurts. <laughs> right, it hurts right? But it's bad for several reasons. But probably the deepest and most important reason is that it's contrary to the purposes of God, mm -hmm. right? God um, intended for man to have hands. He intended for man to be able to see and to hear. Uh, and so uh, he intended for uh, man to have uh, um, sexual faculties that are ordered to procreation. Right. Those are the ends for which we were created the way in which we are. And therefore, they have uh, an obligatory force to them. Right. Yeah, that is, absolutely. Uh, um, so as I say, there's a variety of approaches you could take. You could take a, also a more kind of more virtue based approach as well. But we can show that uh, your question was specifically about the relationship of God to morality. Yeah. And I think uh, on both of those angles, where you take the more sort of popular C.S. Lewis approach or a more technical approach, um, what I was articulating there is something articulated by St. Thomas. It has to do with having a, a teleological worldview. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you accept classical theism, that as the first cause argument, then your view of nature has to change, right? You have to take on the view that nature is ordered to certain ends, and those ends have moral force because they're decreed by the Lord of the universe. Yeah, and I think even when you look at, uh, say, science, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are laws of science that scientists follow mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and it's irrational to ignore those sure right uh, and and they're based on observation they're based on testing they, mm -hmm. they've they've done this in all these ways and, and it's similar even when you when you get into you know the human person when it comes to sure. sociology and psychology mm -hmm. that there's these common elements that psychologists and sociologists now now i know we, we we they get into differing camps and things like that but you know for the most part there are certain things that they have recognized that are universally harmful, universally sure. good, right. uh, and all of these things. So I think, you know, for, for, for you know, kind of the person struggling today, uh, you know, that, that 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 I think can be a hard movement mm. to go from, okay, I understand that God exists. Um, but I think it's important to establish yeah, that yeah. natural moral law sure. as part of God's providence, part of God's creation. Sure. Uh, and part of God's no. uh, care and the way that he, that God didn't just, you know, he's not that divine clockmaker. He didn't just start right. the world and yeah. let us, let uh, leave us to our own devices. That, sure. that he created a, a, not just a biological order to us, but also a moral order right, right. Uh, to us. Absolutely. I, I don't want to say, I just kind of follow up here a little bit. That I think that you can, using philosophy, um, talk about ethics kind of from the bottom up 
if yeah. you want to. And I think that's a fine thing to do. Uh, but when you're working through Christian apologetics, yeah. right, uh, specifically addressing the question of the relationship of God to morality, if you move from the top down, right, as well, right, you can say, and that's probably the more effective thing, right, right, to say, right. we're going to establish the existence of God, we're going to establish providence. And once you have that in view, right, sure. it follows logically uh, and, and really naturally that, uh, in fact, there is a moral order, right, to things. Um, and that, uh, and I think that's an important point and, and, um, and really flows naturally. I mean, if you accept the first cause, if you accept providence, then you have to really accept that there is a, uh, you have a set of moral obligations over you. Now, how does this help us in terms of demonstrating the truth of the gospel or, you know, the Christian worldview? Yeah. I think what you want to say is, uh, what I've already said before is, look, we're building up the credibility of this worldview. We're showing over and over again that our own reason can be used to demonstrate important elements of the Christian worldview, right? right. Uh, and so I think that that pushes us, that increases the probability and credibility of the Christian worldview to our interlocutor. Um in addition to that, of course, uh, one of the things that comes in very helpfully, right, and this this is not a matter of dem- of demonstrative certainty, but I think of probability and usefulness mm-hmm. or appropriateness, um, is that once you work through all of this, uh, once you've demonstrated the existence of God, providence, moral law, divine justice, and immortality of the soul, your conclusion should be, oh, no, um, <laughs> because uh, contrary to what Nietzsche thought, the Christian worldview is not... Um, entirely a matter of comfort right (laughs) actually once you've demonstrated all these things what we should recognize is that we are in fact uh rebels that we are in fact have violated uh the moral law on numerous occasions uh and that we're in trouble uh because uh we have an immortal soul and because god is a just judge uh and will judge us accordingly for the violation of his law um, and so, uh, that, that brings in like, you know, uh, some people like to say it's kind of an old fashioned approach, but you know, the bad news that comes before the good news, right? <laughs> and so the bad news is that we are in fact in trouble and that we need a savior, right? Yeah. And what you can say, you can't again, demonstrate with certainty, the truth of, uh, redemption and the incarnation and others, but you can at least show that. That, that, that those Christian doctrines address that problem and address it in a coherent and effective and persuasive way. Yeah. And I think, again, in, when, you're, when you're mapping out kind of that uh, Christian worldview mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, you know, you're portraying God as love. Mm-hmm. So when we demonstrate, you know, kind of uh, uh, that beginning, the, the, the preambles of faith, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the fact that God is love throughout there, and then we get into kind of that oh no moment <laughs> you know this sure. is where you know that that common thread of that god being love and i know that's used very generally but <laughs> uh, the the way that we kind of use it specifically as as catholics mm-hmm. brings about the good news sure you know and right. if the good news is going to be the good news well you know the bad if, if it's genuinely good mm-hmm. the bad genuinely has to be, be bad, bad. Right. <laughs> you know? that's right. well, otherwise it's uh, like mediocre news. that's like, right yeah, yeah that's okay yeah, yeah. well this is from grandma, this is one of the things i think that that, that it's difficult about contemporary evangelization. Um, the Protestant uh, theologian um, J.R. Packer pointed this out about uh, modern man that, that in previous decades and generations, there was at least a recognition that uh, we're morally fallen beings, right? That we have yeah. moral deficiency. To put it in biblical language, we are sinners. Um, 
it's hard to evangelize today because people don't necessarily think they're that bad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I think that really that's an example of bad consciousness. That is that they're not really um, being honest with themselves. And I think that has a lot to do with a lot of the anxiety and difficulty that human modern humans in particular experience in their sort of interior lives. Yeah. It's because we hide from ourselves our degree of fallenness, our degree of uh, imperfection. So, uh, Jason, in addition, uh, I also want to uh, just speak very briefly here at the end because we've talked a good bit about the the rat, like the preambles of faith and, and trying to show the credibility of faith. But it's also important to show that philosophy can refute alternatives, right? right. So uh, I'm not going to get into all the details here, but you can use philosophical arguments to refute other, to show the irrationality of opposed uh, theories, opposed philosophies, and opposed religions. Uh, and I think that's an important point. We don't like to do that very much, but it's it's necessary, right? You're being judgmental. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope I'm being helpful. So the, uh, um, here's the thing is, philosophically, we can demonstrate that polytheism is false. Polytheism is an irrational position from the perspective of philosophy. It's not a competitor. Yeah. Animism is false, right? Um, pantheism is false, right? Um, and all the religions that um, are based on pantheism or other metaphysical errors can be demonstrated to be false. Yeah. Really, the only competitors for Christianity are the uh, traditional monotheistic religions. Uh, all of the other religions are philosophically irrational. Right. Um, now, that's important, right? That's part <laughs> of Because one of the things that will come up is, well, okay, well, you've demonstrated that the religion has some credibility to it. Okay, fine. Uh, but what about all these other religions? Oh, well, actually, uh, yeah, all these other religions... Um, uh, I would say there's special cases here with Judaism and Islam, uh, but all the other religions are based on philosophical error, things that can be shown to be philosophically erroneous, right? Uh, now, that might not be the first thing out of our mouths if we're interacting yeah. with someone uh, uh, who's Hindu or Buddhist, uh, but nevertheless, it's an important truth, an important element of uh, Christian apologetics. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's very important that, you know, especially when you're looking at, you know, Buddhism and Christianity or Hinduism and things, that you're not comparing apples to apples. No, it's okay. not just mm-hmm. you know. Well, these are other world religions. <laughs> well, you know, in a in a very narrow sense, yeah. But at the mm. same time, you know, uh, a couple of them are philosophically and kind of they can be shown to be evidently mm-hmm. erroneous. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. The other two things I'll just mention in closing uh, that uh, are important parts of. Christian apologetics, maybe not the, the leading element, but an important part, is one is the the usefulness of Christian worldview. And that sounds maybe a little weird at first, but because actually being a Christian can mean that you uh, lose friends and lose influence. But uh, nevertheless, um, uh, it's useful in this sense, that Christian the Christian worldview gives us clear criteria uh, from which to judge, uh, make judgments about what's true and what's false, and also clear criteria for how to live. And that's actually quite important. We, The way I describe it sometimes is that we need a map of life. And uh, Christianity provides us with one that is uh, effective, right? Uh, that uh, it, it shows us a, a godly way to live, a sane way to live, uh, and a way to live uh, that ultimately, maybe not ultimately in this life, but ultimately leads to um, you know full actualization, joy, uh, and eternity. Um in addition to that, we can also talk about the verification of uh, belief in experience. Now, this isn't necessarily, uh, this is very often where people start. They say, well, in my experience, yeah, yeah. this is what I've experienced in Christianity. And that's not, that's not terrible, okay? But it's not enough. 
But as a complement to these other aspects, I think it is actually something that can be effective, right? To talk about uh, the work of God in our lives, to talk about um, how these beliefs have been verified, right. right? That is, here are these beliefs. Now, I actually think that this comes better later in the conversation, yeah. Oh, yeah. right? No, so you lay out the objective uh, arguments for it. You lay out why it's practically useful and helpful. And then third, you talk about how you've experienced this yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, in your own life and can verify it through your own experience. And then invite the other person, you know, say, you know, test this out, you know, like, uh, right. um, uh, you know, in, in some ways, take Pascal's wager, right? <laughs> Bet on Christianity <laughs> and see if you don't find that it is, in fact, uh, verified uh, through your own experience. Yeah, and I think that is so true. Oh, and, and this is one of the reasons why, uh, for those of you that are just joining us maybe for the first time, why we started Catholic Studies Academy is because that intellectual formation is so mm. important that when we have these experiences or we have these feelings that we shouldn't just be left to kind of nothing. Oh, well, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll gauge them how, you know, I'll Google it, you know. Mm. That's yeah, not right. how we should uh, uh, submit our experience or we should, we should subjugate our experience to Google, but that we should be able to use our reason mm -hmm. and that, you know, our feelings uh, should be governed by our reason. Sure. Our experience should be interpreted by our reason. And that's mm -hmm. why the formation of the intellect is so important so that, and, and especially when it's a, a Christian formation, because again, we're talking about reality. Right. And so when we when we experience something that can seem hurtful or right. it can seem, you know, the, the, the problem of suffering, the problem of pain, the problem of evil, uh, all of these things, we need to be able to interpret those with a worldview that is based on sure. reality. Right. And that's where the, the, the formation of the intellect uh, is so important. And that's our goal at Catholic Studies Academy. So that does it for us today at Take Every Thought Captive. In the meantime, check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until then, God bless.